two places this morning. We're going to look at John chapter 1 and also Matthew chapter 1. So if you'll go ahead and open up to both of those places, put a bookmark or something, however you do that. Uh, we're going to be looking at both of these places this morning. Today, as we've already heard from Wesley, we're going to be starting a series called Let There Be Light. And today we're looking at the aspect of the fact that the light has come. And, of course, we know the light is Jesus Christ. Now, what I want to do is take you to a different place to the very beginning to try to make sense of what we're talking about here in John chapter 1 and even Matthew chapter 1. So I want you to look at the verses here on the screen. You'd be surprised to know that there is a lot here that really ties in to Jesus' coming. And so if you'll look here, it says in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, next week, I'm going to give you a little bit more detail into that, the, that passage to kind of bring something out uh, that you may have never seen before. But what I want to do is use this passage to parallel and show the similarities between Genesis 1 and John chapter 1. So now look at John chapter 1. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Do you see some of the similarities already? In the beginning what? God. God is up to something. God is not only the God of creation, he's also the God of this world. And he's the God who puts certain things in place to deal with our greatest need. And so it says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, do you already have a clue as to who he's referring to? He's referring to Jesus himself. This is when you say, give me the greatest idea, the greatest story about Jesus' first coming is actually found in John chapter 1. Many people would say, oh no, it's in Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. That's where you have the Christmas story. Yeah, and those, that's a beautiful story, and we're going to study that over the next several weeks. But really, when you say, give me the, the entirety of what it was really all about, that, that Christmas Eve when, when Jesus was born and all this started coming together, it comes directly out of John chapter 1. And we see that. It says in verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. Now, I want you to think about this. This is referring to a baby in a manger. This is, this is what's being said of that baby. Now, of course, when we go back and we read Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2, we're definitely looking at a narrative. We're looking at a story of a baby that's being born and the greatness of that child and everything. But John chapter 1 tells us about the greatness of that child. We find it here. It says, in him, in Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. And there's the cue. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. If you really want to say what that baby was all about in the manger, it was about the fact that he was light and the world couldn't get their minds around it. Couldn't get their minds around the fact that there was someone who came into this world who represented light, who represented something that no one else was able to represent. And there he is, there in a manger. It says... And the light shines in the darkness, 
and the darkness did not comprehend it. Some translations say it this way, and actually I think this is a better translation. It would say, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness could not overcome it. The darkness could not overcome it. You know, when you look at that, there's definitely a spiritual implication there. But did you know when you start looking at things through the world of science and all that, darkness never overcomes light. Light overcomes darkness. And, and so there's so many things in this world that show us the, the true meaning of what God is all about and how light plays into it. And you're going to be hearing more about that in the future. But listen to this. It appears that God's answer to any problem or void, the idea of feeling something that is lacking, he fills it with something called light. I want you to think about that. Our deepest needs are filled with light. What's lacking in our life is filled with light. So what does the world truly need according to God? The world needs light. Did you know if there wasn't light, there would be no life? That science tells us that. And all of a sudden, we've got all these things running here. And, and so why light? Why would he choose light? Light is the contrast of darkness. Light is clarity. Light is truth. It is pure. It's undefiled. Darkness, however, is deception. It's void. It's lacking. It's defiled. In many places, it's the idea of sin itself. So light dispels darkness. Light overcomes darkness. Light reveals the void of the darkness. So when light showed up, when that babe wrapped in swaddling clothes showed up in a manger, light showed up. There was one there who was going to dispel the darkness that's in our lives. One that would show us what is truly lacking in us. And that's what light was all about. So let there be light. Now, in John chapter 8, verse 12, if you don't believe me so far, guess what Jesus said? He said, I am the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. That means if you walk in him, there is nothing that is lacking. There is no deception. There is no defilement in those who walk in the light. Aren't you glad he said, let there be light? And that's what it's all about. It's all about light. So how did Jesus come? We'll look at the series introduction there. Jesus is the light that has come from heaven. The light that has reached us is like no other and has come to us like no other. And when we start thinking about light, we could focus on these light bulbs that are hanging here. We could focus on the bigger lights, the colored lights, the light that lights up the screen and so many different things, the, the light that we flip on before we go into a dark room. We can think about all those things, but I want to introduce you to light this morning that is above all light. And, and, and here's what's interesting about this light. This light, like I said, is like no other, and it's come to us like no other. Every, at least every other year, and I will always do this as long as I'm here as, at this church or any church, I will always take time, at least every other year, to talk about the importance of the virgin birth. I believe the virgin birth is key. I think it's the most underrated part of theology that must be in place, that must be uh, held when you begin to even look at the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. 
Because the virgin birth reveals something. The virgin birth is actually the idea that this light that is no other came like no other. And that's what you're looking at when we're talking about the virgin birth. And so look at the introduction. Why is the virgin birth so important? Does the virgin birth really matter? Why was it so important that Jesus be born of a virgin? Why did Jesus have to become a man? We're going to attempt to answer those questions this morning. Now, there's been much debate about how Jesus came to reveal himself to mankind. The key to understanding how he came is to understand why he came. So if you're looking and you say, okay, it's a beautiful story. I've heard the story all my life. And it's one of those stories, even the how-to is hard to get my mind around. And I just want you to know that I don't quite understand it all. Let me tell you this, you'll never understand it all until you have the context of why Jesus came in the first place. And that's what we've got to understand. We'll never get our minds around it. The Old Testament told about that coming. The Gospels reported this coming, while the rest of the New Testament gives us the result of the light that has come our way by way of Jesus, the virgin-born child of Mary. And that's so key. So key. If you take anything away from Christmas, it's this. Jesus was born of a virgin. Jesus is the light of the world. And all the Christmas story, you, you, you think about the angels appear and you think about the great escapes. You start thinking about all the stories that surround it, the angels showing up. Listen, there's nothing greater than the fact that he was born of God. Nothing greater than that when we start to take a look at what it really means. Matthew and Luke give us a detailed account of his coming while John tells about his preexistence that Jesus was before Bethlehem. So Jesus left heaven, came to earth, and the Bible says we beheld his glory. Now, why Jesus came gives us the answers as to how Jesus came, and it all surrounds that idea of the virgin birth. So I want you to look on your outline. The virgin birth conceived. All through the scriptures, we find supernatural births. How many of you could name some right now if I ask you? You, you, you probably know some of those uh, births. Isaac was born of a, of a woman uh, in her, in her mid-90s. Samson was born of a woman who was barren, who couldn't have children. Hannah did the same thing with Samuel. Elizabeth was also barren, and she gave birth to the forerunner of the Messiah, the one who came that, that was a reflection of the light, John the Baptist. He came to prepare the way for the true light. As we see, supernatural births are not strange to the Bible, which leads us to the account of Jesus' birth. In Luke chapter 1, we read that the angel appeared before Mary and told her that she would give birth to the Son of God, and her response was that she was a virgin that had never been with a man. Now, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, it says it, like this. Look at Matthew 1, 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, it's an idea of what we would call an, an engagement. And by the way, back then, to break that engagement, it, it took some form of, of divorce that we think of it. But that was a, a big commitment you're making here. So after, after his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. The key phrase here is what? Before they came together, they didn't conceive anything. That's what this is telling us. 
It means that while Mary was the physical mother of Jesus, Joseph was not the physical father of Jesus. A true miracle had taken place. So look on your outline. Jesus was not conceived. It was not by Joseph, but by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. That's what the Bible says. Nowhere in Scripture had we, have we found this type of birth. Yet it was predict, predicted by the prophet Isaiah. And, and by the way, our salvation depends on this supernatural birth. If you were to listen to what someone has said about this supernatural birth. If Jesus was born simply of human parents, there's no way to describe his supernatural life. His virgin birth, his substitutionary death, his bodily resurrection, and his second coming are a package of his deity. It's amazing how we can give credence to his substitutionary death, his bodily resurrection, and the fact he's coming again. But hardly ever do you find many people giving credence to the virgin birth as a part of the deity package. I'm here to say without it, you have no deity package <laughs> And, and we need to understand it's important that we get this. You cannot isolate these truths accepting only one and leaving the rest or accepting them all as one. All are necessary for salvation. So, so what, what's the big deal? Some of you are sitting here saying, I have no problem with the virgin birth. I've always believed in the virgin birth. There's a majority of people out there who profess to know Christ who don't hold to the virgin birth. And that, to me, they're missing a key part of, their, of, the, of the correct theology that is, that is in Scripture that surrounds our very salvation. And, and y'all, we, we can't miss this part. The virgin birth has been challenged. I like how the Bible says some things in Scripture. Isn't it amazing how bold the Bible is? Uh, listen to this. In the beginning, God. And we get this, this story of how God created the heavens and the earth. I mean, it's pretty cool. It just says, here it is. Uh, and the sea departed. And you begin to look at the whole idea of Moses and the miracles that surrounded this man and, and all that idea. It just said, and the sea departed, departed. How about this? Behold, the virgin shall be with child. However, by the second century, listen, the virgin birth had come under attack. In the book called the Talmud, a Jewish writer, now this is a Jewish writer, writes that Mary had relations with a Roman soldier which made Jesus the soldier's illegitimate son. It was an attempt to discredit Jesus' birth and his deity. Now, why would that be important? Well, back then, the Jewish people did not want to believe that Jesus was the Son of God. They, didn't want to get, they did not want to give credit to that. And so they began to tear it down with rumors. And boy, we know about rumors in this day and age, don't we? And all that's happening. So the birth, listen, the virgin birth, however, this is interesting. It was actually challenged first by Joseph. Have you ever read that that way? Joseph himself had a hard time getting his mind around this. Now, if you're any man in this room, and you can remember the early days of your marriage and your young wife comes to you and says, honey, I just want you to know I'm about to have a baby. Never been touched by a man, but I'm going to have a baby. Aren't you excited? What would your response be? <laughs> Depart from me, woman of iniquity. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that, that would blow our minds. 
And poor Joseph, he's sitting here in Matthew chapter 1, look at verse 19. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, he was even minded to put her away secretly. It was on his mind that this does not add up. How many of you would agree? If you, Apart from hearing the story all your life, how many of you agree? This does not add up. And this is where Joseph was. Don't you feel hard? Don't you, don't, you, don't you feel sorry for the guy? I do. I mean, how does this even come together? Listen, his only thoughts must have been that Mary had been with another man. He really had three options from what we can tell. He could have had, uh, had her publicly stoned, which the law would have tolerated, divorce her or stay with her. Guess what he did? He stayed. He stayed. The virgin birth has also been challenged by science. How many of you knew it would probably be challenged by science? Yeah. If science cannot explain things from natural means or view things from empirical evidences, it denies the existence of such. Therefore, science would challenge the possibility of such a birth and absolutely deny a virgin birth. Next, the virgin birth has been challenged by the cults. There are those that are out there that would, would look at this and say, you know something, uh, uh, this, is, this, is, this doesn't add up. Uh, the Jehovah Witnesses would tend to, believe, to deny the virgin birth since Jesus was no different than any other prophet in Scripture. The Mormon church would also tend to deny the virgin birth since Jesus is no different than what we ourselves are capable of becoming. You realize that they believe we can become gods ourselves? In the Journal of Discourses, the Mormon church Church's scholarly journal states this. The birth of the Savior was as natural as the birth of our own children. It was the result of natural action. And they hold to something what is called the doctrine of adoptionism. That at some point, God was looking to fulfill his promise to bring redemption to man. And he looked and he found this young man named Jesus and decided to use him as the means to accomplish his will. Someone who was born of man and woman. How many of you can see a problem with that already? That's going to be a problem. And that's what we find. We see those out there who, who seem to come against the whole idea. This will shock you. The virgin birth has even been challenged by the church. The church. I'm so proud that when you go to our website or our app that you click on and it says our beliefs. And one of the things we put near the top, along with the bodily resurrection, is the virgin birth. We believe it's necessary for our salvation. In a survey published by Christianity Today, it was determined that the virgin birth is denied by 60% of Methodists, 49% of Presbyterians, 44% of Episcopalians, and 34% of Baptists deny the virgin birth. You say, well, is that going to get better anytime soon? What do you think in the climate in which we live? No, it's not going to get any better. Unless God radically brings revival to, to, to the people that need revival. And that starting with the church. If we cannot trust the Bible to be correct on the account of the virgin birth, then how can we trust it on the matters of his death, his burial, and his resurrection? Listen, the same God that says in the beginning, the same word that says in the beginning, God, 
I don't think that God would have any problem causing a virgin birth to you. The very one that can raise someone from the dead, do you think it would be that hard to do? Here's the problem. Darkness has to be dispelled. Let me share with you what I mean. Do you remember the story when Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? You remember that whole conversation? You remember Peter who always puts his foot in the mouth and many times he gets it wrong? Well, this time he got it right. And here's what he said. You are the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the one we've been waiting for. The son of the living God. How many of you will say, yeah, you got that right. Got it right. And then Jesus doesn't even give him credit for it for, of himself. Here's what Jesus said. Blessed are you, Simon Peter, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. You couldn't have come up with this on your own. You couldn't have come to this conclusion. But something happened. It was revealed to you. And then he says, but my Father who is in heaven, the Father who is in heaven revealed that knowledge to him. You know why? Because Peter was walking with light, Jesus himself. And it was one of those things where he had the ability to see through the darkness, that darkness that was dispelled. But so many times, we can't get our minds around things because we think we've got to figure it out scientifically or we've got to figure it out rationally. God is not bound by our science or our rationality. He's not bound by that. He's well beyond that. In Matthew chapter 1, look at verse 20. But while he, Joseph, meaning Joseph, thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take you, Mary, your wife. For that which is conceived in her is not of you, it is of the Holy Spirit. Now, it doesn't say it's not of you, but don't you get the point that if it's of the Holy Spirit, it's not of him? It's not. It's of the Holy Spirit. Next, we see the virgin birth concluded. What are some conclusions we can make about the virgin birth? Well, through the virgin birth, God became a man. Therefore, Jesus became the God-man. Why would he have to do that? Well, look at the first one. Jesus must be man. In Matthew chapter 1, look at verse 21. It says, and she will bring forth a son, a son, a living being a man, uh, someone who would grow to, 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 to have the same longings when it comes to food and the same things that the body needs. All those things would be there, uh, not in our flesh, but just the necessary things for a man to need. And all that's right there. And it says, you'll bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. The one who's going to identify as a man is going to save them from their sins. Number two, Jesus not only must be a man, he must be God. And he is. How do we know? That's where John comes in. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And then skip down to verse 14. And the Word became what? Flesh. And dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. It was him. He was the one that was in heaven. He was the one that was there. He was the light that God wanted to send to the world. And he shows up and he wraps himself in flesh. There he is. There he is. 
It means that Jesus predates Bethlehem. He came to us because of our great need. And you know what we needed? We needed a Savior. What we needed is we needed light to dispel the darkness that we were living in. Some of you say, what do you mean the darkness that we're living in? Listen, do you believe it's dark out there in the world? If those of us, listen, and I'm not trying, well, (laughs) it's just a fact. If we walk in light, we will easily see the contrast that is in the darkness. I'm one that really believes that. I believe if I'm walking in the light, now can I be deceived? Absolutely, I'm in, fle- I'm in the flesh. I can't. But the nature of who I am now in the new creation that God has created me in through the provision of Jesus Christ, I am no longer one that has to live in darkness. If I do now, I'm choosing to live there. And who would? Being rescued out of that darkness who now lives in light. How many of you find it... <laughs> We talked about this before. How many of you have ever screamed at the TV before or the radio? You ever done that? You ever read something someone sent you and you read it? It's like, how did they come to these conclusions? How do we think this is a good thing? Well, I've chalked it up to the fact of what we learn in Scripture. I'm attempting to walk in light. And the more I walk in light, the less deception I have to be under, the the less darkness that I'm traveling in. But guess what? I've seen Christians, they're walking in the light. They get get the darkness and messes everything up. But listen, I've been noticed as I've grown in my faith in the Lord, grown in truth, grown in, in him discipling me to where he wants me to be, I see darkness quicker now than I've ever seen it before. And we need to understand that's part of this great salvation that we have. That he came, listen, he came to feel what was lacking in us. And he came by the picture that God himself gave us as the light of the world. The light of the world. He said this light will fulfill all the voids. That's what we find in Genesis 1. He said this light will fulfill our greatest of needs. That's what we find in John 1. That he'll give us that life. So he must be God. Now, which brings us to the question of this. And I've shared this with you before. And why did God have to become a man? How many of you have ever tried to figure that out? I think, I think so many times when we hear the Christmas story, what do we do? We, we think of it, I mean, I mean, right now, TV, Rudolph's on now. Santa Claus is coming to town. And, and Billy Bob loves Betty Sue, Christmas. You know, they got all kinds of stuff out there now. You know, I saw one the other day, the Prince of Christmas. And all, I'm like, that's got to be Hallmark or some kind of junk. But anyway. <laughs> but here's what I'm afraid we as Christians have done. And we need to be careful. We've taken all those neat stories that surround Christmas. How many of you think Charlie Brown Christmas is the most depressing thing you've ever seen? You're like, okay, let me move on. But anyway, I had to, I want to take a quick poll. But anyway, I'm moving on. I want you to think about this. What we do many times, we take all these traditions that may be right or may be wrong. We take all these stories and all these neat things that surround Christmas. And we we got them neatly wrapped over here. And then we we take the same thing about the story of Jesus and we kind of lump it all together. That's what Christmas is to me. You know what I'm talking about? You you see what many people do? No. This is different than Rudolph, y'all. This is different than a big guy trying to get down a chimney. 
This is different. This is the Son of God on display. This is the light of God coming to this world saying, hey, what you lack most in your life, I'm here to, I'm here to bring that. Because what you need is you need light. You, you, need the, you need the void replaced with the light. And it was described that way in Genesis chapter 1 when we first got into the whole conversation about God. And guess what? It came about when Jesus showed up. The light has come. And Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. I'm exactly what the world needs. I am here to fill the deepest voids of those who live here on earth. It's available to those who come by faith. But let's look at this. The reason why Jesus had to become a man. Since it is a man that sinned, it appears it must be a man that pays the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin involves the suffering of both body and soul. Therefore, I believe only a man is qualified to bear the suffering for sin. How many of you would say, you know, that makes sense? It makes sense because it's what happened. Second of all, an essential element in saving mankind or humankind is to fulfill the law. To fulfill the law. There had to be a man to be the correct sacrifice for man's greatest need. There had to be a man who lived the law perfectly, who became the unblemished sacrifice. Did any of y'all pull that off? Some of you may think your children or grandchildren have, but they haven't. There was only one, and his name was Jesus. He pulled it off, and he had to come by way of a man. We could not do that. Therefore, Jesus had to come as one of us to fulfill God's law that he might become our sacrifice. Thirdly, if Jesus is to be the mediator who brings men to God, I believe it's only apparent that he has to be both. He's got to be the God-man. Here, here's something else. The reasons why Jesus had to be deity. To save us from our sin, many people believe that Christ had to undergo the wrath of God on our behalf. Can a man hold up to anything deity puts on it? No. Can't. Jesus was the God man. If Jesus had been merely a sinless man and not deity, many people believe he could have only died in the place of just one sinner himself. A sacrifice of infinite value requires a person of infinite value. Here's another one. A mediator between God and man must himself be God if he is to bring men to God. I heard someone explain it this way. A 20-foot chasm cannot be bridged by an 8-foot ladder. It's always going to come up short. And that's what we need to understand. And that's what this season means. If Jesus Christ was to save us, listen... He had to be the God-man at the same time. Therefore, the virgin birth, Mary giving him his humanity, and the Holy Spirit, his deity, is necessary and essential for our salvation. Next, the virgin birth considered. And the first thing we see here is Jesus is the predicted one. There was a lot of talk about the Messiah coming. Back over here in, in Isaiah, a lot of talk. But can I carry you further back? There's a lot of talk of him coming in Genesis too. We're going to look at some of that next week. But, but it's interesting, when you begin to look at everything, Jesus coming the way he did connected the old covenant with the new covenant. 
Matthew is writing. And here's one thing you can take away from this, okay? When Matthew writes his gospel, he is trying to convince Jews with Jewish heritage to understand that Jesus fulfilled the law. He has to be the Messiah. His goal in writing his gospel was written in such a way that Jews would read it and they would come away at least having to think about, well, he might be. And that's what was happening when he wrote his gospel. So Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience. Many times he'll use the phrase that it might be fulfilled. So in Matthew chapter 1, look at verse 22. So all this was done. All the talk of the coming of the baby and all this was done. How? That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, and by the way, this is Isaiah, 600 years before Christ. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. God with us. He's going to come down, and he's going to spend time with us. He's going to walk with some of us. He's going to eat with some of us. He's going to have a good time with some of us. Listen, some of the things that we're told about with Jesus, with his disciples, is, is, there's, there's humor in there too, y'all. He, he would have been, listen, I know this sounds terrible. He would have been someone you'd want to hang out with. But you know many people turned around when he started talking about the hard stuff. Hey, if you want to follow me, deny yourself. You worried about all this other stuff? You need to get your priorities straight. I'm the one. Only deity could have gotten away with his language. That's what he was doing. So what does all this mean? God with us demonstrates, look on your outline, that Jesus is God in our presence. Jesus himself said, when you see God, you see me. When you see me, you see God, the Father. So what does it mean that God is with us? What does it mean that he was both human and deity? It means, and you've heard this before, that the creator became a part of the creation. Now, now he wasn't created he was a creator. Genesis tells us this. Colossians tells us this. John chapter 1 tells us this. He was the architect. He was the one that was calling the shots. It was created by him and for him. And he holds it all together. And so here's what it says. The creator became a part of the creation. How many of you ever seen those beautiful paintings? You ever, you ever seen some of those that got some high, you got, you got to have a little cash to get a hold of some of those things? I mean, you can look at it, and now sometimes what they call art is just, I feel like my grandson could do better. I, I really do. How many of you know what I'm talking about? This impression art or whatever they call that stuff. I'm like, yeah, I got, I got something like that on the refrigerator. <laughs> you know, but, but I'm talking about those things that are just beautiful, and, and you're sitting there, and you're looking at it, and it draws your eye. Have you ever once seen the one who painted it in the scene itself? Hardly ever. <laughs> but you know what? There's one who created it all, who came and made, him a part of the, made himself part of the creation, that he can reach out, to reach out. Next, it, what does it mean that God is with us, that the one who dries all our tears, he wept? Isn't that amazing? That the one who gives rest to our souls, he got tired. That the one who gives us living water, he got thirsty. The one who gives us the bread of life got hungry. The one who is the Alpha and Omega, the one who is, was and is and central to eternity, lived 33 years as a God-man. That's hard to get your mind around, isn't it? Do you see how this story is a little different in Rudolph? Do you see how it's a little different than the man coming down the chimney? 
This is something that supersedes anything that's ever happened for man in humanity. John chapter 1, look at it again. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh, dwelt among us. We beheld His glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus left the glory of heaven, wrapped Himself in flesh, and came to this dark world by way of a virgin named Mary. And through this body, excuse me, through this baby, light will dispel darkness through the baby next the virgin birth constructed how did it all come about what 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 had to be lent to it or had to be given to it for it to be fully developed how many of you believe in something called the sovereignty of god he's he's he he's orchestrating some things y'all he orchestrated this one big time and to make sure they didn't get it wrong, he sent his messenger angels. How many of you notice that? This is an important event. We're not going to mess this up, right? I'm sending the angels. <laughs> and it's going to be right there. So, but there's some things that, that when, even when we are participants with God to accomplish things, the virgin birth was constructed, look on your outline, by obedience. Someone had to be obedient to what they were called to do. In verse 19, we read that Joseph was a just man, an upright man. Now, God is going to develop Joseph, I believe, for this purpose. God has been developing something in Joseph for years to become, the, I guess, the stepfather of Jesus. <laughs> He's been preparing it. In the backdrop of gossip and shame, Joseph obeyed the father, Matthew 1, Then Joseph, being aroused from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, took to him his wife and did not know her. They did not come into a, 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 a covenant relation, or excuse me, a, uh, anyway, consummate anything. <laughs> did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. Jesus. Gee, listen, Joseph's simple obedience moved along the plan and the will of God. Isn't it amazing to think that if we'll just get obedient and be submissive to what the Lord is leading through the Holy Spirit, that we can become a part of the grand plan of God in leading someone to Christ and, and, and just having an impact of those that God's placed in our lives. Next, the virgin birth was constructed by humility. Humility. There was great humility when it came to Jesus showing up. I, I don't know about you, but if I was going to show my son off, might get Steven Spielberg involved or someone. <laughs> no, I mean, think about it. What would we do? We would, we would really do it outright, right? That isn't the way it happened. Lowly mother, a lowly man. Mary's humility. Look at Luke chapter 1 here. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his handmaiden or his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed because of what God has asked of me. Have you ever thought of your life in that context? Now, of course, many of us can't identify with this. We never, you ladies, none of y'all have ever been, well, none of you on your right thinking have ever been called to carry the Son of God. <laughs> the virgin birth was thirdly constructed by faith. 
Joseph and Mary became a part of God's plan by reaching out with their faith. In Luke chapter 1, look here on the screen. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Matthew chapter 1, this is his part. Then Joseph, being aroused from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took to him his wife. The same way Joseph and Mary reached out to God in his plans, the same way we must reach out if we are to be a part of God's plan by obedience, humility, and faith. I love this. You've heard it before. A skeptic who denied the virgin birth once asked a Christian, if I told you that that child over there was born of a virgin, would you believe me? The believer who had to be a lot quicker on his feet than me said this. Yes, if that child lived a, sin a sinless life as Jesus, I would have to believe you. Listen, the greatest evidence that Jesus was virgin born was his sinless life. The greatest evidence that he was who he said he was is because of how he came. It meant that over 2,000 years ago, God said, let there be light. And who showed up? Jesus. Jesus showed up. He was the God-man who came to die for our sins and give us the assurance of a relationship with God. So here's the application. I want you to think about this. Let's, quit. Let's put aside all our Christmas stories and what we've always heard. Let's focus in on this for this, this moment. Listen to this. Does a virgin birth really matter? If you still leave here and say, no, I have failed miserably. Matter of fact, I'm just going to tell you, God's word will have failed you miserably. Because you know something? Unless, listen, based on some things we find in Scripture, unless the Spirit of God reveals certain things in your heart, you will never believe those things. And that is the idea of light dispelling darkness. So I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know if you've been in darkness and what I'm talking about, all of a sudden there's some things that are starting to make sense that you have all these voids in your life. You're lacking here, you're lacking there. You have fear and doubt and all these things are running rapid in your heart and in your mind. That baby showed up as light to reveal all that can be overcome. So your salvation depends on this thing we call the virgin birth. The light, Jesus came for your benefit. Listen, to bring you out of darkness into light, to bring you out of deception into the truth, to bring you out from, out from under a void to fulfillment. So here's the question. How are you going to respond to it? How are you going to respond to it? How do you respond to something like this? It's a big deal. Would you stand to your feet, please? Father, we come to you right now, and Lord, I know that many of us in this room have heard this story all our lives. Father, we, we, we don't even have a moment that we can remember without hearing some stories about a virgin birth, about Jesus showing up, a babe in a manger. But Father, I just pray that today that maybe there's something that your spirit has revealed into, to each of us, uh, that light, that truth in such a way that it, it has the power to transform us. Father, I pray for the skeptic that may be here today, that maybe they look to science, and if it can't be proven there, they, they look no further. Or if it can't be proven by something they feel, they look no further. Help them to realize that there's, there's the Holy Spirit, there's something going on in their lives, Father, that, that is bigger than they are. 
bigger than their feelings, bigger than what they hold up science to be. And Father, I just pray, Lord, that you'll just help us to, to understand that we need so much to understand what this light truly means. Father, I pray for the heart that may be here this morning and they would say, you know something, the way you describe darkness, that's where I am right now. I pray that they'll come into the light this morning. Father, I pray for that Christian that's, that's been living in light for many years and all of a sudden their life has gone off track. They, they find themselves pandering to the darkness. They find themselves dabbling in the darkness. I pray you call them back to the light. Father, we pray that you would just do a wonderful work in our lives here today. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that needs prayer, that needs someone to pray for them, that wants to make a big decision this morning, help them to know there's people up front here that love them and would like to rejoice in them and pray for them. We thank you for what you're going to do in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen. We're getting ready to sing a hymn of invitation. I'll be here with another pastor. Just do what God's calling you to do in these moments. Would you sing with us?